Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. And hello, hello, hello everyone out there in the big, big, wide world. This is Our Wondrous World with Helena Margareta, or as some people out there who haven't heard me yet for a while, it's Helena Steiner Hornstein, but I changed my name. <laughs> and if you get my newsletter, you know all about it, and I had a spiritual experience, and suddenly I just had to call myself my first given names, my baptized names. And a spirit told me, listen, the names you had there before, you have carried them around from men. This is not you. You have to be yourself. And I know many women out there might be struggling with the same thing, that the names are very important to you. So here I am, Helena, Margareta. And I have a guest with me today. I'm so happy to have a guest. Last time we didn't have a guest. It was just me, but now we have a guest. And that is Shirley Ennebrad. Shirley is uh, with me on the other side of America. By the way, I'm in Europe. I'm in Northern Europe, and it's dinner time for us. And I think over there where you are, Shirley Ennebrad, it's morning, isn't it? I just got up. (laughs) (laughs) Glad you made it. (laughs) And where are you right now, Shirley? Seattle, Washington. Hello? I'm in Seattle. Seattle, Washington. Can okay. you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, good. So we had some kind of interference. So you are up in what state, Washington. Yes. And uh, in what city are you? You know, I always give this kind of location because people sit in different countries and they want to get a, a little idea where you might be. I'm in um, Seattle. Oh, oh, great. Mm-hmm. And um, you are uh, an award-winning TV producer, and you are an author, and you wrote the book. You have no idea how taken I have been by this book. It's called Over the Rainbow Bridge. I was simply blown (laughs) off my seat. You know, I actually wasn't off my seat. I was sleeping in bed every night before I went to sleep. And it is a different book. And uh, everyone who knows me knows I've written Constant Awakening. That's also a very, very different kind of a book. And I feel if you read my book, Constant Awakening, and you read Shirley Ennebrad's book, Over the Rainbow Bridge, you will really know what life is about. It really puts you in a picture of life. Shirley, where can we get your book so we don't forget that? And I, Start asking that. Usually I take that at the very end, but with your book, I want to tell everyone from the very start, make a note of it. Oh, thank you. Well, you should be able to get it through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. It's an e-book on Smashwords.com, and um, most bookstores have it. I don't know about Europe. Europe, usually you get it. Of course, you can get it through Amazon.com in Europe as well. But also, I know in my books, you just order them through the bookstores, and you can get them. 
and you can uh, my I, website. And also your and what is your website, Shirley? It's over the rainbow bridge dot info. I N F O. Wonderful. Yeah. So over the rainbow bridge is the name of the book. And I'm again for once I have not written questions which I usually do, but I feel so full of excitement to just look at this book and I have it next to me here. Before we go further, I have had some internet connection problems here for weeks. And if we get disconnected, and if you're listening live, just stay. Don't go away. We're coming back. And if you are coming back through the archives, we will try to edit that if we have some kind of break or whatever is going to happen. So, uh, And the very beginning of the book actually starts with you when you were 10 years old, and that is just amazing as well. Tell me about that, Shirley. Well, when I was uh, 10, my family was driving along an area of California called Half Moon Bay, and it's an area that's near the ocean and it has a lot of land fog. So we passed, um, we were driving through this land fog, and I wrote a poem about uh, being dead. So when my mom found it, she got all freaked out, and when she asked me about it, I told her that, um, that not to worry, I was just having some thoughts about death because I knew that when I grew up, I would have an ill child who would die and that the two of us would teach people not to be afraid of death. That's so amazing. What did she say to this? Well, she had to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This she is not what the regular... No. And yet no. old would say. No, and I so, have five brothers, so none of them ever said anything strange like that. But I, um, she was worried that, that I was having a premonition about myself, and I said no, that it wouldn't be me, that it would be my child. So she, was, yeah. she just kind of filed it away and, and didn't say anything until, um, until he was diagnosed. And how did you feel otherwise about death at that time as a young child? Well, I wasn't. I was a little bit afraid because um, I was actually afraid to drive by cemeteries because my grandfather was from Hawaii, and he always told me stories about the night walkers and the night marchers on the Big Island, and um, so I expected to see spirits dancing uh, in the cemetery. <laughs> and ah. um, but I wasn't afraid because of the stories that he had told me when we were growing when I was growing up. So I didn't have much, you know, I kind of believe that your spirit lives on. And um, and somehow, I don't even remember how, but I've always believed in reincarnation. Yeah, that's amazing how many children do until we're told that this isn't so. Uh, tell me about this, which I don't know since I'm European, about evidently Hawaiian culture about night dances. What is that? Night walkers? Night walkers, um, yeah, sorry. That's just what the, the word they use to describe ghosts. But there is a, there's a long legend about people that have seen night marchers, and it's Kamehameha's uh, armies um, marching across the island, and they do it every uh-huh. night. And many, uh-huh. many people have seen them. Yeah. What are they? Are they uh, people, the locals? I mean, the, the ones they see, are they locals or are they... Strangers, or how these, how, how do these spirits look like? 
Oh, Have well, they're, that? they're the soldiers of King Kamehameha, and he was the... He tried to take over the Hawaiian Islands by force, and so he had many, many um, soldiers. And they yeah. would uh, march in for- formation, and they're dressed in the the clothing of their time with the helmets and everything. And mm, so that's very exciting. That's how people recognize them. But they they seem to frequent the same areas, and um, tourists as well as locals have seen them for many, many years. Ah. And I didn't know about this, but I haven't been to Hawaii yet, not yet. So <laughs> one day I will go. And so now, of course, you were a young woman, and you met a man, and you marry, and you get pregnant. Yeah, and the whole and, time I and, tried to not think about having a sick child. Yeah, <clears throat> and was that on your mind at that time? A little bit, but I tried just to, you know, put it in the back of my mind and not think about it until he was born, and then I realized that he was the one. Yeah. Because he but was he was, so, he was well, and every, he was quite healthy then, wasn't he? He was when beyond, he was he was beyond um, anyone's expectations, though, because he was so strong and so capable for a newborn. The first day that I had him with me in, the, in my hospital bed, he took both of my thumbs and stood up and arched his back, and he looked me straight in the eyes, and he smiled at me, and I thought, oh, my, you know, babies aren't supposed to be able to do that. So I, I kind of knew then that he was the one that, that I'd had the premonition about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then he started to talk and say things also, uh, <laughs> which must have been just blowing your mind. <laughs> well, he started, he, cra- he started crawling when he was three months old, which babies... Well, that's crawl. early, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they can't even usually roll over. And um, he just did everything in fast forward. But when he started, he was only about 15, 16 months old when he started talking about reincarnation and about previous lifetimes. You know, most kids aren't even, don't have a very full vocabulary by then, but he was very capable. Yeah, that's very unusual. And particularly boys are not quite as fast going with the speech as girls are, too. So uh, that was unusual, and uh, and I have underlined here on on what page is it? When beginning of the book, where it says, "You know, Mom, energy comes from light." Where <laughs> your son says that, and uh, did you know what he was talking about? I actually did. He was um, six when he told me that, and um, he was very spiritual, even though we didn't go to church and. Um, the reason we didn't go to church was because he was sick, and um, so he was basically an unchurched child that had very deep spiritual beliefs and expressions. Yeah. And he, That's you know, he a, talked yeah. about he talked about his energy, his soul, his essence. I mean, he used the word essence at six years old, so he was he was amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. I don't know any grown-ups who talk about essence. You know, in a conversation. <laughs> but he said he would love me forevermore and that even after he died that his spirit would live on and he would still love me. Yeah, that's so beautiful. That's really wonderful. And then what does say here? And, uh, and then he says, when you die, your soul, your spirit, energy, or essence again, whatever you want to call it, lives on because energy comes from light. It never dies. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? It was pretty 
spectacular when he was telling me that, and it turned out that it was within days of, uh, he probably had already relapsed, but it was within days of them finding out that he'd had a double relapse. And he was at that time sick, though. He was, how old was he when he was diagnosed with leukemia? He was diagnosed uh, at age three, uh, several months before he turned four. And then when he said that about energy uh, and light, he was six. And um, so he was very healthy for 27 months. He was in remission. And the nurses used to joke about how he was a very healthy child who happened to have leukemia. Um, because yeah. leukemic, <clears throat> leukemic kids don't appear very sick until the end. And <clears throat> he was doing very well, and but then he had the double relapse, and that made his prognosis go from 80% to less than 10%. Yeah. And uh, you were married at the time, and this very true marriages with sick children who terminally ill children usually don't survive, and what happened with your marriage? Well, they actually told me on uh, the night that he was diagnosed that 80 to 85 percent of healthy marriages uh, don't survive um, a terminal or a potentially terminal diagnosis, and um, I knew right then that 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 was the death knell for my marriage because I was there by myself hearing the diagnosis. Um, my ex-husband decided to work overtime that day and rather than go with us to the hospital. So he was already in denial, and I knew that that was going to be a problem. So, yeah. you know, we became a statistic fairly quickly. And, um, and then, as is typical, a lot of times it's the mom who's left with the sick children sick child and the siblings and then you never hear from the dads again because they I don't know if they can't cope but they they walk away which you know we went from being a two-income middle-class American family and plunged I was plunged into poverty immediately yeah it's very very hard but I think this I've seen that with many husbands I remember when I was married my last in my last marriage now we were not going through anything, luckily, like what you were going through. But I remember when I was very, very sick in pneumonia, and this was deadly sick in pneumonia. I should have been at the hospital. And my daughter was extremely sick also. And uh, we lived in this big house, and we had dogs and pets and everything else. And my husband walked up and looked at us sick people, said, oh, God, all you sick people, I, I have to go and play golf. And he went to the golf course and sat there and complained about the sickness at home. And everyone felt so sorry for him, you know, poor him. <laughs> and I see that out in life a lot, you know, that poor wives who have to sit there with all the problems, they don't get the understanding always. Right. Did you see that? I see it all the time because I am the president of a nonprofit that helps families whose children are going through cancer treatment. Yeah. And it's it's so typical for the husbands to just walk away and, you know, not want to deal with it because they don't want to be stressed out. And the wife is left with not only a sick kid, but sometimes, you know, oftentimes younger children yeah. and um, and no income. Plus, you've got to be at the hospital all the time with your sick yeah, child. It's terrible. And I took yeah. that part of your book and what you had to go through when with car breaking down in the middle of the rain on the expressway and how you were with a sick child on your way to the hospital. It must have been just hell what yeah. you went through. I drive that. I drive past that route um, 
pretty frequently when I go up to the hospital to meet with families or the hospital and I I look at the the route that I took and I can't believe that you know it was about three and a half miles but it was he weighed as much as I did so having to carry yeah. him and then it started raining and it was the middle of the night and oh, it was just <laughs> when I look at it now it's almost comical that it was so terrible at the time yeah, I understand exactly what you what you're feeling. Well, how could I? I wasn't in the in the picture. You know, I, I never had to go through exactly like this, but similar situations. And I know how tough it could be, and that's why I felt so strongly for you. But you really have to live through all these things yourself to really, really understand. It's like death. You know, you can say that. Yeah, I understand what you're going through. You don't understand until you've gone through death yourself. Isn't that well, so? Yeah, I agree. It's funny, though, because, you know, we thought we were prepared. And, and you know, you can be prepared intellectually, but you can never be prepared emotionally to go through that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so definite also. This is it. Yeah. And you've been waiting for it. And, and now suddenly, uh, how did his sister, because you had these two children now. You had Corey, the boy, and a few years after him you got uh, Bri and you spell it B-R-I-E like this cheese brie and Bri <laughs> is such a pretty name <laughs> and how did she take all this with his sickness first you know his her brother being sick all the time and and uh, going through the changes the child has to go through with feeling so bad and when he finally died how did she take that well, it's always very difficult for the siblings because they don't get as much attention as the sick child. And she had a lot of issues around that um, as she got older. I mean, at the time, you know, she didn't, she was a baby when he was diagnosed and she didn't really understand it. And then when, she, when he passed away, she was upset with me because I spent so much time with him at the hospital and in her little six-year-old mind, you go to the hospital you get fixed and she couldn't figure out why i i didn't make sure that they fixed him so that was kind of scary for her and then she also thought that i was going to go with him because i spent so much time with him she just thought for sure that when he left that i would join him so she was concerned about what was going to happen to her and she kept you know she was she was crying one night and asked asking me what she should do and i i finally had to listen extra carefully and realize that she she was concerned about, you know, if something did happen to me, where would she go and who would take care of her? So yeah. that that part told me just how sad it was for her to have to experience living with, um, you know, a, a terminally ill sibling. And she, yeah. you know, I, I found out later, years later, that um, that many siblings – end up having the same issues. And even if the sibling, even if their sick sibling survives, they still have a lot of resentment and anger about the amount of time that the parents spent with the sick child. Yeah, of course. So, Has this affected her life now as a grown-up? Does she have did, nightmares actually. or fears or anything afterwards? She mostly had um, self-esteem issues, which is typical. Uh-huh. So yeah. she's finally doing okay, but it took a long time. And, you know, she had, she did therapy a couple of times, you know, when she was a teenager around these issues. And um, 
turns out that her issues were really more about her father, who disappeared after we split up, than about um, her, her brother dying. Because her brother tried his best to prepare her in advance. And the therapist always said that he did a really good job of preparing her for that. It was the absent yeah. father that didn't work. So That's, that's so amazing. Now, about Corey, who um, evidently seemed to know so much about life and about the hereafter. And how have you had thoughts afterwards? How could they know that? Is everything predestined in a way that we just walk into a program that's already there? How, how do you feel about that after your experience? Now, it might be a little difficult question, but I'm sure you've had some kind of thoughts around it. Well, no. Before he died, um, we had many conversations from the time that he was diagnosed as terminal especially. But he talked about how he chose me to be his mom because he knew that our that he was supposed to put me on my path to help people and Mm -hmm. um, that he chose the lessons that he would learn in his short lifetime and that he knew that the next lifetime that he had, he would, um, he called it a bumper life, you know, which meant a pain-free existence. And that was his trade-off for choosing to be my son and teaching people not to be afraid of death. So, I, you know, in some ways it does sound like uh, things are preordained, but I think what his message was is that you get to choose the lessons that you're going to not only learn, but choose the lessons that you're going to teach while you're here. Yeah. It, it's actually what, what I'm teaching also in uh, my work, exactly what he is saying, that we are choosing our lives beforehand and what we feel we can handle. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it is also not only that is what we really need to learn for various reasons so we can move on into a better life after that in the lifetime afterwards. But we choose our mothers, and that's what he had done. Uh-huh. And that's what he said he had done. And then well, I kind of he feel like also... I'm yeah? sorry. Well, no, I was feeling current. like my husband, you know, that if I'd had a different father for him and a different husband that things would have been different. So that I think that whole thing was preordained too that he that Corey and I had to do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel you had a particular lifetime together where you had to sort this out in this lifetime? With my ex-husband? No, in the previous lifetime, I mean, <laughs> that you had lived in a previous lifetime together. And you had to meet in this lifetime to kind of clear that lifetime, whatever it it could have been. And I was trying to check into that because I read past lifetimes. And uh, I didn't come that far because it really has to be with your permission and so on. But it seems that maybe you, in a previous lifetime, actually had experienced something together. It could have been a war thing. It could have been something of that kind and that you have to come here together and heal those wounds of the past, which you have done. So you're both clear now for oh, the that's future. Awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, whatever relationship he and I had was was finished because I don't feel any residue from that. I know that um, mm-hmm. Corey, talked, Corey talked about several lifetimes, previous lifetimes where he and I were siblings. 
Uh-huh. That's nice. So, and he was also, the, the connection was also with my mother and with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. So yeah. Yeah, he had many little, uh, he had many flashes of memory and different insights about previous lifetimes. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying, that if anyone wants to know about life and also past lifetimes, they should read my book, Constant Awakening, and your book, Over the Rainbow Bridge. And they will really get a clear picture because, uh, you know, I think this book, where you have experienced it all also, is very exciting. And I even have recommended it to a few people here in Europe. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, because I think it's very worthwhile. It's it's a good, solid, what is it, 320 pages, something. And for me to read every single one, you know, I don't have time to read books. But I couldn't even miss one line of it because I thought it was so exciting in so many ways. And also that I felt the presence of Corey, your son, all the time. So it was interesting. Now, during his Later, was it years or weeks or months? I don't remember. He made nightly visits, not not physically, but in his dreams, wasn't it? When he went over the Rainbow Bridge? Yes, when he went to, what was it, Summerland? He called it Summerland, and it was. Um, he went there for about a year and a half before he died. So they weren't near-death experiences. They were mostly in the alpha state of sleep between um, sleeping and waking. And he came back with messages from people that he didn't know, people that had died long before he was born. And he it was amazing because there's no way he would have known who those people were or known their stories or known who to contact to give their information to. So he was very explicit in his... um, message giving when he when he would come back from uh, over the rainbow bridge and that's why i titled the book that because he said that when you see a rainbow it's really the side view of a bridge from here to heaven and um that whenever you see a rainbow that means somebody's crossing over and he called it summerland i thought because we live in the pacific northwest where it rains a lot because he said it's where the sun always shines and they never see rain but I found out by going to Lilydale, New York last year. Have you ever heard of Lilydale? I don't know. No. It's Tell a me, spiritualist. It? It's a spiritualist community. It's the largest and the oldest spiritualist community in the world. And it's oh, in, tell, it, um, tell me again, Lily. Lilydale. What is two words? Lilydale. Okay. Huh. And New it's York? in western Western New York. You fly into Buffalo, but mm-hmm. it's a community of um, spiritualists, and there's 44 registered mediums that live there. And uh-huh. um, I found I bought the book about Lilydale while I was there, and I I was reading it in about page you know in the 70s I think. There's a reference to heaven, and the author says or Summerland as the spiritualists call it. So I was blown away that Corey called it Summerland and that somebody else did. I thought Corey made it up. So I don't know. So did I. I didn't know that. Yeah. So because it's, just, it's kind of a child's name. Because it's so natural, it's so pleasing, it's so happy. Yeah. Isn't it? So yeah. I was just kind of thinking, oh, I thought, well, maybe he was a spiritualist in a previous lifetime, and he remembered that that's what it was called. But um, he did that, and he got to where he could go at will. He could go when he was awake. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he could also. That's interesting. So you mean he met people and he had, uh, were these people that were documented or were they just people that were real anyway? Uh, that well, he met in uh, during those trips to Summerland, which was his uh, view of, heaven. of the heavens, yeah. Well, he brought back messages for, um, the first time he went, he brought back a message from my grandfather. And my grandfather had died when I was 21, I think. And I didn't have Corey until I was 25. So um, he had never met my grandfather, obviously. But he said that my grandfather had all these, he wanted to um, reassure my mother and my brothers and I that he was there and that he would take care of Corey when he got there and that he was watching over all of us and that Corey wouldn't have to come until he, Corey felt that, my family was ready to let him go. Yeah. So that was very reassuring. And he saw our dog there on the bridge the first time he went out of body. And- oh, really? So where the dogs are together with the people in the same place? Yep. yep. So and it's not like- that some people say there's a dog heaven and a people heaven and a cat heaven. No, so they're it's, all together. We're all together? Yep, That's because beautiful. later he saw my, um, he saw my, my sister's husband um, playing with small children and he said and there was kitty cats and he was talking about all the animals there too yeah how wonderful i think this is so remarkable and to have this kind of story told just through the own experience and there's no intellectual talk in this and this is what i like so much about the book is just that this is the way it is and I meet people sometimes you know at airports and we talk about reincarnation and so on and you have them have those men, of course, uh, who say, oh, there is no scientific proof for this, and how can you prove it? Well, uh, what, and I say, what can you prove? Well, they say, prove your case. And I say, yes, I have actually focused a lot on reincarnation through my work. I worked on thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, who uh, have, well, I, and I've seen their past lifetimes. So it's, it, it exists. And many of our diseases and many of our physical conditions today and fears and whatever we have with us can be dated back to a previous lifetime. And if you go back in your imagination and heal that previous lifetime, you also experience a healing in this lifetime. It is all tied together. We are all part of a big, big oneness. And that is what I really have found out through my research. So no one can knock that. I really mean there is such a thing. And scientists themselves, of course they believe in it. It's just those people who say, oh, scientists don't believe, scientists believe in it. They cannot prove it the same way. And there have been doctors who have really done the research uh, the same way, psychiatrists who have tried to go back to childhood and but it didn't stop there. The people went on into another lifetime beyond those childhood years. And that was the cause for their problem in this lifetime. And I mentioned earlier to you that I have found, you know, when I have had workshops, for instance, and I talk, we talk about reincarnation, I can have several people in that audience who say, I was Abram Lincoln. You know, it could be men or women. And I was Abraham Lincoln. 
And then a week later, have another workshop, and five more people say, I was Abraham Lincoln, or whatever they say, you know, Napoleon or Queen Mary or anyone. So I have all those people who have been those people before. And how could that be if we went from one to one? It wouldn't be possible. And it's not that these people are lying. Everyone is telling exactly the truth because they are experience those memories and they know I was so and so. Just like Corey could say he was this and that and he was with you when or you know, in the previous lifetime. You just know that. So uh, when before you you're born here into this lifetime, you go through a belt of soul memories. And you jump through that and you become part of it and it becomes part of you. And then you descend here on, on this earth and you have that memory as part of you. But many people can do that from the same life. So that means that Corey is still in the heavens, you know, and he's waiting there for you <laughs> whenever you're coming up. And Abraham Lincoln is still up there uh, 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 among the souls the one he was. That hasn't changed. And it's not that some, you know, I hear that sometimes, usually men, of course, who want have to have the intellectual explanation to say, simply, oh, we stay up there for 700 years before we come down to earth again. Well, it's not so, because those limit, the limitation in years and in numbers is just in our human minds. It doesn't exist in spirit, so to speak the way I have seen it. Everything I'm saying is actually from my research. So uh, if anyone else wants to say something about this, this is good too, but is it from their own experience or is it something they have read in a book that someone else has experienced or, or just have decided that this is the way it is? So life is just too large and too complicated, shall I say, for us to really believe it has to be in one certain way that is kind of picked up by one particular culture or, or, you know, I'm European and I notice in Europe we believe certain things a little bit differently from Americans and Americans believe certain things in a different way from South Americans and it goes on that way. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) through all this, there is this, what I call, what Corey said, the energy of the light. That's what goes through all of us. That is the common thread through everything. That is the wonder of our world. There's one story here that absolutely blows my mind and you have to tell that one to me in the book, of the book here. And I just couldn't get over it. I think I was emailing you at the same time and I emailed someone else at the same, at just when I finished that, those few chapters and I think I emailed you his email to you <laughs> because I was so blown over. I just couldn't get it. It was just so big. And that is the, the story about the chain, you know, the butterfly chain. Oh, the necklace. Uh-huh. Yeah, the necklace. You want me to tell that story? Yeah. In, in, you know, not word by word like many <laughs> pages, but just, I would love you to tell that story. Well, a couple weeks after... A couple of weeks after Corey died, I um, I got I I was in my alpha state asleep and I heard him calling me and I started to answer him but then I accidentally woke myself up. And he was so, dead now, so called dead. Yeah, it was about three yeah. weeks after he died, 
And mm-hmm. so I was really upset that I didn't listen and that, you know, I didn't stay under in my alpha state. So anyway, three days later, he came back again. And so I was very careful, and I asked him, you know, why he was there. And he said that uh, he wanted to know what I was going to do with his money that was in his savings account. And I had forgotten about it, so I said, what do you want me to do with it? He told me to go see my friend Gordon. And uh, my friend Gordon is a diamond wholesaler. But he also was the um, a silent partner in a jewelry store that his brother and another partner ran. So, you know, I thought, gee, I don't know how much money you've got in that account, Corey, but it's not enough to go <laughs> see Gordon. So he said, just go see it. He said, just go see him because when you see it, you will think of Elizabeth and me. And I went, okay. So, you know, I looked for his check, his uh, bank book for a couple of days, and then I forgot about it, and I started having dental problems. And I finally got to the dentist, and they sent me down town Seattle to a oral surgeon who was in the same building as the store not Gordon's office so I thought well after I get my teeth checked I'm going to pop in and see if Gordon's even in town and I went in there and it was all of a sudden I felt like I was engulfed in fog and I was talking to his brother and I looked in the jewelry case and here was this beautiful gold 18 karat gold uh, butterfly and the head is a diamond and it was draped over this beautiful piece of petrified wood. And I heard Corey's voice say, see, I told you you'd think of Elizabeth and me because Elizabeth's logo is a hand releasing a butterfly, which symbolizes your soul leaving your earth body. So mm-hmm. I asked how much it was, and they said, you know, it was 400 and something dollars. This was a long time ago. And um, they said that they would give me a discount. So anyway, they got it down to $200, and I said, well, I'll come back and get it later. So I went back to my office, and I called the bank where my son's bank account had been and told them that I couldn't find the bank book and that he'd passed away and on and on. And the woman said, well, let me go check. And she came back to the phone, and she said, how does $200.47 sound? And I hung up on her because <laughs> I couldn't believe that it was the same amount. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, my is- gosh. So I went and bought it after I got off work that day, and I drove home, and I was feeling guilty because I'd had to borrow money from my parents and um, some of my siblings to pay my bills and pay for Corey's funeral, and um, I was sitting on the edge of my bed looking at the necklace, and I felt this elbow hit me in the arm, and I heard his voice say, just put the damn thing on. It wasn't your money to begin with. So I turned, and he was sitting next (laughs) to me on the bed. And so I put the necklace on, and I turned to show it to him, and he was gone. But I heard his voice say, Happy Mother's Day, Mommy, and he went away because um, he died on Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it you know, makes me cry now because it's such a beautiful story. Yeah. And, and I he, think, again, I still wear it. Go buy the book, day. you know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway... Those are about, you know, he was so full of those kinds of <laughs> experiences, before yeah. and after. So, uh, and then he died, and you uh, you had a tough time there. You had to work, and you had to pay the bills, and uh, and your daughter. How she, we talked about her, but she was okay then, fairly to to move on. Well, when he died, she was six, and um, he was nine. And she seemed okay. She actually said to me one day 
but she understood that I didn't love him more, that he just needed me more. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is amazing that she actually gets that. Well, you know, she became a hellacious yeah. teenager as a result. Uh, but yeah. um, it was really difficult at first because you, people don't realize when you are grieving, your mind is numb, for one, for about the first four months. And then your memory is affected. And I would sit in business meetings and then come out of them and not know what we had talked about because I couldn't retain it because I was yeah. so dull from from the uh, the pain of the loss. And yeah. um, I tell people now because I do, I do grief work with people, and I have a friend whose parents just both passed away, and she is four months out, and it's, you know, almost clockwork that she's finally starting to feel the pain because the numbness is going away. And yeah. she didn't she didn't understand what was what was causing her her you know, not sleeping well and then being short tempered with her kids and her husband and then the fact that she's just so deeply sad she can't think straight. And um, you know, I, I had to go explain to her that that's grief and it's all typical reaction to grief. So, but I really think people should have memorial services four months after the death because the first four months you are numb, and you yeah, cannot. True. You know, I Except know that. I was widowed three times, and I think the first time, particularly, I was totally. You know, you. I felt I was kind of nuts for a while. You know, uh-huh, that's what and she's you doing. said, yeah, and. Uh, People don't understand you. They feel, you know, because you're whole, you have no big wounds. You know, it's not that you have a bandage around your head or anything. They just don't get it that you are hurting somewhere inside of you. Mm-hmm. They don't get that. It, I mean, you are hurting right down to your soul. And yeah. they don't know how, unless they've been through it, they don't really know what to say or even understand it. So it's been, I, my friend is having a really hard time because she, is surrounded by people that don't get it. And yeah. um, and I found that over and over. And I, I really see that four months is about an average. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and you are, are you working full-time now with grief-stricken uh, uh, people, or are you doing, uh, you're still a writer and still TV producer? Oh, I'm all those things. I um, am a freelance television producer and right now I'm working on a special about early childhood education and I'm mm-hmm. writing my second book which is called Poor Justice that's about a um a news investigative news story that I did years ago and it took me nine and a half years of uh reinvestigating the crime to help the young woman get out of prison who was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and she wow. was falsely falsely convicted and um, and I do grief work, and I'm also the president of a nonprofit that helps families deal with kids with cancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those type so, A uh, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has, has has this made you more spiritual? This experience? Oh, absolutely. I think I was born spiritual, and then having a grandfather who was he was a Methodist minister in Hawaii before he moved to the mainland. So having him be the major influence in my life when I was really young. Um, he read the Bible every day in the morning and in the evening. And he, I would ask him questions about it because those stories were so fantastic to me that they didn't make sense. But um, I think having him as an influence and then him teaching me not to be afraid of things that you can't understand, like ghosts or whatever, and um, 
I've always, for some reason, have always believed in reincarnation. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. But yeah. I was born three and a half months early. My mom was due the end of October, like how Oh, early. really? But that's dangerously early. That was, oh, yeah. uh, can one and survive that normally? Well, especially back then in a county hospital, I was under two pounds, and um, I think that that experience made me a survivor, for one. But also, yeah. I think that there must have been a spiritual hand, you know, keeping me safe for those five months that I was in an incubator before I was old, big enough to go home. And yeah. um, I just think that, you know, that I've always felt that that set me apart from my five brothers anyway, that I was different, mainly because... So were you I in the middle there somewhere, or where were you in the in the order of the children? I'm the fourth. The fourth. So I have uh-huh. three older and two younger. Yeah. But they're all boys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, they got that girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, I felt like, you know, how little kids' brains work. I kind of thought they must have liked boys better because they had three. Then they had me, and then they had two more boys. So I thought you could order them. <laughs> so I always felt like yeah. I didn't fit. <laughs> yeah. So talking about uh, children and more children, you had uh, you, you found happiness after all. You married again. I'm very happy. I'm married to a wonderful man who's a psychologist. And um, and then we had together we had another daughter. So yeah, life is yeah. good. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So uh, and you live now all together. Well, how old would Corey have been if he had lived today? Oh dear, he'd be thirty-four. Oh, so this is some time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it you helped. know, because I see him as a child all the time, and I don't cannot think of him as as someone so old. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I should explain to your listeners why it took so long. I actually, he told me before he died that he wanted me to write a book um, and teach people not to be afraid of death and to tell his stories because he had all this knowledge. And I did that. I kept notes on little pieces of paper in a shoebox until it was time to write the book. But when I got to the end, I knew that the ending hadn't happened yet. And so I had to put it away until the ending came. And it took me, it took another eight years before the ending came. And then um, and then I waited a couple of years to make sure there wasn't any more that I thought was yeah, pertinent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, why, that's why it took so long for me to get the book about him out. And I don't yeah. think that the world was ready yet anyway. Because, you know, when I even talked about his experiences to people sometimes, I would get that, especially like you said from men or people that are, you know, call themselves deeply religious would always say yeah, terrible that's things, true. you know. They yeah, would say stuff like, true. oh, well, that's, how do you know that wasn't Satan? And um, yeah. my response would be, well, first of all, I don't believe in Satan. And number two, why would Satan want me to feel better? You know, why would you Satan know, want me to have a necklace that, that makes me think of my son every day, you know? Yeah. I uh, am almost amazed at the fundamentalist religious people, how they are so such strong believers in Satan, in the devil. Why mm-hmm. don't they believe in God and the good, you know, instead of always bringing up all that darkness? That's a mystery to me. It is to me, too. And I'm glad to hear you say that, because that's exactly what I have been feeling all these years. And, you know, even now, I go to a very progressive church, but the pastor asked me to speak about my book uh, during yeah. Easter, 
and the same kind of thing. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't have anything about reincarnation in it. It does if you pay attention. Sure, you know? it's full of it everywhere. Absolutely. Right. Plus, they have tried to take a lot out, but they didn't understand what to take out. So it's there all the way, and I'm born again in the light. It says so everywhere. So it's totally wrong uh, what they're saying yes. about the Bible. Well, I was, so, um, well, I was told by a Catholic priest that the Catholic Bible had um, was very accepting and had many references to reincarnation until the Second Vatican Council when they removed it for space. It wasn't yeah. that they didn't believe in it. They just did, they were trying to make room for something else. So, yeah, I I think that they're wrong. And there's no way that a little boy of his age who'd never gone to church, any church, um, would know the things that he knew. Absolutely not, no. And it's no way they can say that people say, oh, he must have heard it somewhere. No, little boys of three, they don't hear that kind of thing and they don't pick it up. They wouldn't care, you know. No, no. Well, and, and he was really, you know, he was a toddler. I mean, I can't remember if it was 15 or 16 months old when he was talking about how I used, he said, you know, Mommy, do you remember when I was big? Well, yeah. little kids said that, you know. I just yeah. kind of went, what? <laughs> and yeah. then I went, you know, I asked him a couple questions, and I went and got a, a pad and pen and started writing notes down because I was so blown away I wanted to make sure I got it down. And then, you know, he was beyond it and didn't want to talk about it anymore. But that was the first time he brought up reincarnation, and I'm looking at a baby going, how would he know that? So there's no way. Yeah. Unless no, he there is no way. It. It's a yeah. very, very natural thing. I know my parents believed in it, and of course they were born a long, long time ago. The back, you know, I hate to tell you, like hundred years ago, <laughs> and uh, but they believed in it, and uh, it was just a natural thing for them too. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's coming into light more and more now. But I know in my lectures, and I lecture all over, they're a little bit afraid of what I might say because I talk about reincarnation. And it's a little bit difficult for some people, particularly for some men who cannot control that. And that's why they don't want it to, to kind of be too mentioned, you know, and that they might have been poor, they might have been a woman before, they might have been a Chinese, so they might, you know, it's something they cannot grasp too much. So that's why they deny it. Mm-hmm. But so it's that, and I've seen so much about it, so much of this in my consultations with people. I only had to look at people and look into them. I'm a medical intuitive and medium, I don't know if you know that, but it's so easy to see previous lifetimes within the person mm. because we kind of carry that around in many ways oh, sure. and that's yeah, why some people are sick right? yeah so well, uh, and that, you said something funny about um people guys that may have been female before when my little grandson was um about almost three he said to my husband one day you know i used to be a girl once and my husband yeah. said, really? <laughs> You know, how was that for you? He goes, yeah, it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) I just think that's funny. That is so, but children take it so easy, you know, and I have grandchildren now, and they are so wise, and what they come up with is wonderful. I just love to speak uh, with them, but the wisdom that they have before they have been ruined by life out there, (laughs) and 
by all the programming and the schooling that we have to follow. It's so, it's more than sweet. It's so wise. It's so deep. And it's so wonderful to speak to them. I think. Well, some people, don't, you know, a lot of people don't realize that if they would just listen and let the child speak, um, instead of saying, oh, don't be silly or whatever, um, that they would learn a lot about what where this child came from and what they were here for now because yeah. so many kids, you know, I think usually what is it, about seven or eight when they stop talking about it because they've been t- programmed not to say it. But That's true. Um, I've talked to so many groups or people that have actually written me letters after reading my book and they are so sorry that they did that to their children and they realize what their that their child was having memories from their previous lifetime and if they would have yeah. paid attention they'd have they'd have so much more insight like I did with Corey. Yeah. And uh if we now start to inform everyone through books like yours uh, and mine, <laughs> you know, that people start to read these and see that this is actually, you know, they cannot say, oh, no, that it can't be, you know, he must have imagined it. No, you don't imagine these things, what he went through here with Summerland and, you know, me, and with past lifetimes and just coming as a little child saying these things. There's no way. No. So, well, of course, be this so is just a fact. Yeah. yeah. You know, and his details were amazing. I mean, well, his yeah. description of what he experienced when he went over the Rainbow Bridge and what he saw there, I, you know, I've been told from other people that that's documented in other people's books that, you know, people that have had out of, what do you call them, uh, near-death experiences. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, because he talks about what people look like and um, that they communicate by thought and that there's colors not of our earth oh, and, yeah, that's and music true. he said music not of our earth yeah. said, mom it's so beautiful and you know he talks about walking in God's garden and um, ans- asking questions about things that he wanted to know about and getting clear answers yeah. so yeah, his experiences were very uh, detailed um, when he came back and explained it to me and I just ran and you know I would jot it down and throw it in the shoebox and because sometimes people go, how do you remember so much? Well, part of it's memory because I knew he wasn't going to survive, and so I tried to remember every little nuance. But the other yeah. part is that I took really good notes and kept them in a box, and then when the time came for me to finally get the book done, I laid them out on the floor and then put them in chronological order, and then I would just take a piece of paper and write about it every day. And yeah. um, it took me six months to write the book. So... And uh, did you take time off from work, or did you just uh, do it when you could? Because books, you really have to sit down and focus. Well, I I was working in news then, local news, and I Mm -hmm. did it at night and on weekends. But I write conversationally, and I'm a really fast reader and writer and thinker. (laughs) So uh, that's how I was able to do it so fast. It was very cathartic, though. I cried through many, many... Many, many days of writing it because I was reliving all of the experiences. And so in the reliving, I could feel it again. So that helped me write it. Of course, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I, you never really get over depth of someone. And I, sometimes I can sit and cry over one of my husbands, you know, deceased husbands, and just cry because of whatever. 
but it never did, although I'm happy now and so on, but still there is a little spot there that has been hurt where you have some kind of loss. And I don't think you get over that ever. It's there. No, I tell people, and they don't usually want to hear it in the beginning, but it's not that you ever get over the loss. You will always miss them and you will always love them and that hole will always be in your heart. Just over time you get used to the you get used to them being gone and you get used to the pain. It doesn't go away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. This hour has gone by so fast. I see we have just a few uh, minutes left, so I would like to thank everyone here and uh, say thank you so much to Shirley Ennebrad who has written this fantastic book, Over the Rainbow Bridge. And as I said before, you can buy it at your local bookstore or barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com. And it's a good reading. You know, but it's, it takes a while. It's a thick book. <laughs> but it's, it, you, you pick up a lot of feelings from that one. And I have more I would like to ask. I don't know if we should begin. We can actually make the live show would would finish now about, but we can continue and make a recording of it so for the archives it will stay. And I have more things I really wanted to ask, but they are not really so nice. It's like the treatment he was given. I don't know if we should even go into that, what you feel. I think we're ending on, on a good note now because... There was so much pain involved in his life and in your life. And I don't know if we should really go into that very much because it was, to me, it was very painful even to read about it. Yeah. Well, it gives people a sense of what it's like, though, so maybe they're more empathetic when they have a friend or a relative that's going through something like that. That's yeah. why I included it. But, you know, yeah. we can no, chat again it, sometime, anytime you want you're missing, you're yeah, we can do that and, and go into a different direction because this was so nice. And, and I have his book, and I, I'm kind of putting my hand on top of his face. That it, 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 I just did unintentionally, but it just so happened. And uh, I feel his presence very, very strongly in that he came here to share his life through you to the world so we understand what it is all about. What do you say? Yep, that's that was his whole purpose was coming to to teach people not to be afraid of death, because if you don't, yeah. if you live in fear, then you won't um, you won't live fully. That's true. So uh, we are all process actually of living. So thank you very very much. This is Helena Margareta from Stockholm, Sweden, and Shirley Ennebrad from Seattle, on the west coast of the United States of America. I thank you all out there in the big wide world. Be back with me soon. Thank you so very much. And thank you again, Shirley. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And just for your archive listeners, uh, you go to www.speakingtoyourheart.com. Thank you so much. Speakingtoyourheart.com. Bye-bye.